Our reading is from Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And here it is now appearing on the screen, although it's good to have your Bible in front of you, ready for when Nigel speaks to us about it. Verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Good morning, good to see you. Um, one of the struggles we've had in recent months has been to see a doctor. don't know if you've had the same problem. We've had a number of lockdown ailments to do with teeth and eyes and some other physical things as well. So we've needed to see a doctor and it's been quite tricky. Some of you may have an app for that. Our doctor has gone online, actually. And it's been superb. Um, you, you ring ahead, you get an appointment, and they WhatsApp you back effectively, and they look through a video uh, and look at your knee or whatever ailment we've had in our home. And within 10, 15 minutes at the max, there is a prescription for us at the pharmacy just over the road. It's a super system where they uh, diagnose and work out what's wrong and then when necessary prescribe or refer they're doing a super job um, our doctors and uh, we're in letter number seven the final letter the letter to the church at Laodicea and I want you to have that picture of a doctor as we come to these striking verses Jesus really looks into the heart of the church as he's done before but he looks at the symptoms and he prescribes some medicine there's a difference to these letters. You can see on the screen what it's like as Jesus has looked at the other churches, the other six before Laodicea. Each one has been diagnosed and prescribed medicine. They've been encouraged and they've been chastened as Jesus saves and judges his churches in modern day Turkey. But when it comes to Laodicea, there's a difference. I wonder if you noticed it. There's a difference that Jesus doesn't praise him for anything. There's nothing praiseworthy about the church of Laodicea. Jesus is very analytical as he looks into their hearts and into their homes. There's nothing positive he's got to say. 
the uh, preceding six churches, there's always been something of merit, something of worth. But when it comes to Laodicea, Jesus sees problems everywhere. So the question that has come into my mind as I've looked at it this week is, well, is there any hope? If the church is struggling, if it's falling apart, if there are severe issues beneath the surface that uh, have come to bear uh, in people's relationship and lives and hearts, is there any hope for this desperately sick church let me look at sentence 18 with me jesus says there is hope you have to get from me eye medicine eye salve eye balm because there's a spiritual condition that needs medication that you can only get from me a remedy and i want us to have a think about what this passage says to the church throughout the ages as dr jesus gets to work he says there is a symptom that i can spot It's symptomatic of an underlying disease that I see because I have all sight and perfect vision. And there are remedies that you need to take. There's medicine that you need to take to cure of this spiritual condition and that you can only get it from me. Let's work through those three things from Dr. Jesus, a a symptom and a a, a deep root cause and, and medicine that's only available from Jesus. Let's think about the symptom. You can see that from sentences 15 and 16 as well. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. And straight away, you can see from the screen, Jesus is talking about spiritual lukewarmness. He's talking about a temperature. This uh, spiritual coldness in verses 15 and into 16 is uh, contrasted down to sentence 19. In sentence 19, you have one of the remedies that Jesus will speak about shortly, this idea of earnestness. It's from the Greek word zelos. You've guessed it. It's from the word zeal. You lukewarm people, verse 15, 16, you need to be earnest or you need to be zealous people. That word uh, lukewarm, it really describes someone who believes what they should believe about Jesus. Remember, Jesus is writing to Christians, to to a church at Laodicea, but the supreme passion of their hearts has been replaced. Their highest love, their chief aim, their chief desire is for something other than for King Jesus. And as a result, there's no zeal for God. There's no passion for him. There's no jealousy for his honor. There's no intimacy and passion and joy and wonder in their faith and in their walk with him. And so Jesus says these two extremely negative things about his church in Laodicea, about this condition that they have. He doesn't pull any punches. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. Verse 15 and 16, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He says, I would rather you were cold or hot than lukewarm, but that's the worst condition to be in. Now, lots of ink has been spilt on these uh, words and what they mean and why Jesus said what he said. It would make complete sense for Jesus, having looked and analysed their condition as a doctor does, to say, I'd rather you were hot. I'd rather you were spiritually zealous and passionate and affectionate for me. That would make sense. 
because Jesus is talking about spiritual passion and spiritual blindness. And he says, I wish that you could see. I wish that you would be passionate. I wish that you were hot, but at the moment you're lukewarm. But actually, that's not what he says. Jesus says, you're lukewarm. I'd rather you were cold. I'd rather you were cold than being lukewarm. Now, why does Jesus say that? Because it's easier for someone who's cold spiritually to be turned on to the reality of Jesus than for someone who's lukewarm. Someone who's lukewarm, a person who is lukewarm, who's indifferent to Jesus, someone who's lukewarm, who knows what the gospel proclaims about Jesus, but they don't care about it. They're not living their life in light of those truths. It's harder for a lukewarm person, someone who knows but doesn't act on the truth that they know, to fall in love with Jesus afresh. It's easier for a cold person, someone that's never heard the truth about Jesus, to be passionate about God, having heard the true gospel. Cold people, like we felt yesterday physically, but cold people spiritually, they are one step closer to embracing the truth of Jesus Christ shown in the gospel of his son than someone who's lukewarm, someone who knows the truth but is not acting upon it. They understand it, but they're not acting on the implications. Lukewarm people, they're like, they're like an umbrella that the rain of the gospel just bounces off them. It just bounces off their hearts. They're, they're hardened to it like a calloused foot. They're impervious to the truth of the gospel. They don't see the implications that there should be in their lives. And Jesus says, you're in an incredibly dangerous position. I'd rather you were cold than the state that you're in because you're not acting on the truth that you profess and the truth that you know. That's the first thing that Jesus says that's really scary, but here's the second thing that may be worse still. Jesus says in sentence 16, well, he could say, I'm angry with you. He could say, my wrath is upon you. He could say those words that are true because God is a God of justice of pure sight from chapter one. He can see all things. He has perfect knowledge. But Jesus doesn't say my anger, my wrath, which are kind of out there words from Jesus. He says, personally, I'd rather spit you out of my mouth. It's a horrible image, isn't it? Something like if you're down at the beach and you're swimming in the sea and you accidentally swallow salt water and you expel it or, um, a few weeks ago, a son of mine brought me some cold water, but it was the hot tap had been running, so it wasn't quite pleasant, and I kind of swallowed it with a gulp. I wanted to expel it, and Jesus is saying, I know you. I know the condition of your heart. You're not acting on the truth that you profess to know, and it's so dangerous, the condition that you're in. I'd rather expel you from me. I'd rather you weren't close to me. I want to uh, get rid of you away from me. It's very personal, the words Jesus chooses. I don't want you near me anymore. Jesus says, that's the condition that I see you in. I've looked right into your heart. And those are the symptoms that I see. And it's not good. But the reason that's symptomatic of what's going on in your life and in your church is because of a spiritual disease that's in your heart. There's an underlying disease that I can see and that I want you to understand before I offer you some medicine from my pharmacy, you could say. Jesus says, here's the disease that causes this spiritual condition. It's in sentences 17 and 18. Please look in your Bible with me. Jesus speaks in these sentences in a very uh, ironic way. 
But to understand that, we need to understand something of the history of Laodicea. And we know a bunch, not just from Wikipedia, but from historians. Laodicea had a lot of resources at its disposal. And here's some, some pictures of it. It's a wonderful city that you could see the remnants of even today. Laodicea was, was a great city, had lots of architectural splendor and lots of resources. It was a, a textile center. Clothes, clothes were made there. There was black wool from the sheep on the hillside and the, the textile merchants made a roaring trade from selling these rich woolen clothes. It was a, a significant financial center of its day as well. It was so wealthy that when an earthquake came in AD 60, it was one of the few cities around the uh, basin of Asia Minor that didn't have to ask Rome for financial support. They could say, we're okay, we have enough resources, we can rebuild our city. And only a few cities could do that. But it was also a medical center. It was a medical center that produced medicines that included eye ailments. So the historians, the non-Christian historians tell us. And when you grasp that truth, it brings a certain color to verses 18. Jesus is being bitterly ironic. He says, verse 18, you think you're well clothed. You think you're rich. You think you're healthy. You think that you can see with great clarity, but actually you're naked, you're poor, and you're blind. Jesus says, with all the facade, with all your worldly wealth, with all your worldly resources, they don't cover up this deep spiritual need that you have. What does it mean when the Bible speaks of spiritual nakedness and poverty and blindness? This is what it means. Spiritual blind or nakedness, rather, is, is a, a real clear definition from God that actually we're a sinner. It's a language of guilt and language of shame. You're spiritually naked. I can see into your heart and you have a record against you, against my just standard. You are poor and liable for punishment. Spiritual poverty, it's a picture of powerlessness in the Bible. You, you can't change your condition. You have no resources, no wealth to do something about it. You can't deal with your own guilt. You can't pay for your own sin. You cannot change your life. You are poor in resources. You can't be the person you want to be. And that's before we get to blindness. Blindness, it means apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot see the depth of your own need. You think you can see reality clearly, but actually you're naked and you're spiritually poor and you're spiritually blind. You don't know that you are guilty. You don't know that your resources and works are insufficient against the standard of a loving but holy God. And Jesus says, church, you know the truth of the gospel, but you're denying its power. And you think and you're relying on your earthly resources. You think you're well clothed. You think you are sufficient. But in spite of how earthly wealthy you are, in spite of how healthy you are in an earthly sense because of your medicinal resources before God, you're spiritually blind, deaf, and dumb. Your earthly resources are getting in the way of you seeing your great spiritual need. You're absolutely poor before me. You have nothing to offer me apart from your own sin. You can't see spiritually, you're spiritually blind and you cannot clothe yourself with black wool. Before me, it means nothing. Salvation. 
Being a Christian, says Jesus to his church at Laodicea and throughout the ages, is completely, is completely of grace. You're a sinner before the throne of God and there's nothing you can do. You need me to rescue you afresh. Now, we could do a test. And Christianity 101 says that Christians are saved by the grace of God. And you could say, well, surely the church in Laodicea knew that. And they did. They knew that, but there was something that was getting in the way. They would give the right answer. Christians are saved by the grace of God seen at the cross of Jesus Christ. So what's Jesus teaching them and through them to us, the church at Laodicea? Think of the danger that they were in, this great affluence that they had. It got in the way. Think of the accomplishment that was theirs. Think of the renown that was theirs. They didn't need any hope from Rome. They had their own resources. But all those earthly wealth and resources and riches and renown led to spiritual apathy, spiritual lukewarmness. Jesus was pushed to the margins of their lives because they had all they needed. Now, are you making any connections here? I hope you are, because I have this week by God's help. I think we are living in Laodicea. Can you see that? We're living in the United Kingdom that still has so many spiritual resources. Even worse than that, we're living in affluent Surrey. Even worse than that, we're living in Epsom that's close enough to the city centre to be um, an opportunity to travel in if we need to and see the sights and work there. But we're close enough to the countryside so that we can go out and relax. What a place to live in. What a place where we have so much, but spiritually we can be so very, very poor. We can be blind to our spiritual need. We can be spiritually naked without the resources that Jesus and Jesus alone gives. I think we're living in a modern day Laodicea. It's just exchanging the word Laodicea for Epsom. We have so many resources. We can be blinded by our affluence. Now, I didn't know Stephen was going to uh, share us a video. Wasn't that helpful and challenging from Nigeria? Because I too wanted to speak to a you of a friend that I knew who was Nigerian. He made the uh, plane ride from Africa to Europe and to um, Greater London to study for Christian ministry. That was his passion and he's returned. But when he was here, I got to know my friend Bosco and it was very interesting. As I got to know him, the uh, politeness uh, from me and from him uh, quickly withdrew and we could be more honest with one another. I asked him, I said, Bosco, what was striking to you about the church in the United Kingdom? And uh, very politely still, but with slightly more directness, he said, it's so surprising to me. Here is what he said. You have so much, so why don't you pray? Your spiritual resources are renowned throughout the world, so why don't you pray? You have so much financial resources, so why don't you give more, he said. And with such resources, why don't you tell your friends about Jesus in a more impassioned way? Why are so many people slow to come to the prayer meeting? Why don't they give their resources away more for the gospel? And why don't people be more bold in evangelism for the name of Jesus Christ? That's my friend Bosco. I'm sure the Bishop of Nigeria would say the same thing. And if I had the chance to speak to him today, I'd say, because I've seen for the first time even more than those six years ago when I spoke to you, 
that I think we're living in Laodicea. I, and perhaps you, are very lukewarm when it comes to Christian things. We struggle every bit as much as the church in Laodicea. Why? Because my pride, my self-sufficiency, the resources that God has given to me have blinded me to the spiritual need in my life. They've blinded me to the spiritual need in the world. And surely 2020 has done something to burst that bubble, to see that we are less affluent than we thought we once were at the start of the year. And the spiritual need is great in Surrey, in Epsom, in Yule, in Stoneleigh, in surrounding areas, in the United Kingdom and around his world. So if that's the condition of the Church of Laodicea, if that's the condition of my heart and perhaps your heart too, what does Dr. Jesus say we should do about it? Here's the medicine as he consults with us through the Bible. We're not zealous for God, so what do we do? That's our disease. What do we do? What's the medicine? Here's the medicine from Dr. Jesus. It begins in verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you. He says, I prescribe. I prescribe to you these four things. Number one, grasp afresh that salvation is by grace. That salvation is by grace. Grasp my gracious salvation. Verse 18. Read with me, please. Jesus says, buy from me a white robe. Gold that does not fade and spiritual sight. When Jesus says, buy from me, he's saying, don't go somewhere else. There's no other pharmacy that you can get these resources from. Notice he says, from me. It's really important. There's no other source of spiritual resources that last, that are real, other than King Jesus. Remember the church in uh, 60 AD, they didn't need to go to Rome and pick up the uh, old telephone, so to speak, and go to the financial markets for the rebuilding. They had all the resources they need. But notice what even to them Jesus says. No, no, no. From me and from me alone, you need to get a white robe. Now, a white robe from the book of Revelation and some other places in the New Testament as well, that's that's sign language for a life that's acceptable to God, cleansed from all sin, that is only available because of the death of his son. God the Father says, here are the righteous robes from King Jesus, who lived a sufficient life, who died a all-conquering of sin death. And because of that, God vindicated his son, he raised him from the grave. And so that now by faith, we can have the robes, the righteousness of King Jesus given to us, and only by faith from our Father in heaven are those robes possible. It's the forgiveness that Jesus won on the cross. It's the pardon that his resurrection achieved for us. But notice it says, verse 18, white robes, but gold refined by fire. That's again, revelation language for saying status before God. And everybody in the church of Laodicea wanted to clothe themselves probably with the, uh, the great textile, the black wool from the countryside that was theirs. But it's not just them who tried to clothe themselves. I do it too, and so do you. Don't we do it by working hard? We want to clothe ourselves with a pat on the back of status, that we work hard, maybe of our looks, whilst they're still young and whilst we're still attractive, we think before the sound of time makes everything fall south, that 
that we can clothe ourselves with good looks and prowess and physique. Why do we work so hard? Why do we work so hard on our looks? Why do we spend so much time on our CV when we're looking for new employment? Because we want to clothe ourselves with our enoughness, with our righteousness, that we think that we can do enough so that we're good enough before a watching world. And these garments become our version of gold. And Jesus says, it's not enough. There is gold that you can only buy from me. There is a righteousness that only I can give. If your accomplishment is in raising children, well, soon they will fly the nest. If it's accomplishment or working hard, if that's your real gold, if that's your real garment, then you're this close, says Jesus, from being naked. You're this close from seeing that your business can fall, your achievement can stop, your health can pass. You're this close to it all falling apart. But, says Jesus, there is a righteousness, there is a way to be clothed that will never perish or fade. There is a gold that you can get from me that's everlasting. That's the only garment that you can never lose. 2020 has taught us that. Everything we hold and slip through our fingers with a global pandemic that no one saw coming and it's changed the world, but it may never be the same again. But I can give you clothes that will never perish, spoil, or fade, and you can have them by my grace, says Jesus. That's the first medicine. Here's the second one. Here's the second medicine for a lukewarm heart. How do you regain zeal and wonder? Well, it's through suffering. It's through suffering. You notice this theme that's coming through the pages of Revelation that difficulty and suffering is needed to go through for Christians to endure. Verse 18, the gold I'm going to give you is gold refined by fire. It's the language of the furnace from chapter 1. Verse 19, those I rebuke, I chasten, I discipline. If you want to get out of lukewarmness, if you want to live a love-transformed life, then Jesus will take you by the hand and lead you into the furnace of difficulty and suffering. He will lead you into difficulty, but he will be right by your side. It's a truism, I'm afraid, that the Christians who have lived the most charmed life, who have not been through difficulty, who have not suffered that much, they are the ones who have been most lukewarm in my experience. You speak to the Christians who have suffered most. You speak to Christians with black skin from Nigeria who've suffered most at the hands of Boko Haram in the town of Jos. They won't be lukewarm, I assure you, because God always takes us by the hand and leads us into the furnace. It's the cure for lukewarmness, but it's not one we take lightly. Here's the third cure. Be open to his love. Be open to the love of Jesus. Here's one of the most amazing things about this whole passage. At the start of the passage, in sentence 16, Jesus says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want you near me, says Jesus. But throughout the letter, he demonstrates his commitment to his people. There's grace upon grace, so that by the time you get to sentence 20, Jesus says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open to me, I will come in and I will eat with him and him with me. And we've seen this from other parts of the Bible. When 
in the Old Testament times, in the New Testament times, when you welcome someone into your home, it's a big thing. It's a big thing because it's saying fellowship and openness and intimacy. It's hospitality. And, and Jesus is saying, don't think that I'm far away from you. Don't think when you come and pray with me for half an hour a day, an hour a day. Don't think that I'm far away. Don't, don't come to me with a shopping list. Don't come to me just when you need something from me. I want intimacy with you. I want to express my closeness to you, my affections to you. You can come and ask things, but that has to be part of a relationship. So when you come to me for half an hour a day, for an hour a day, when you come to me with nothing on your agenda, just because you want to enjoy me, don't think that I'm far away. I'm just the other side of the door. I'm knocking at the door. I'm longing for you to spend time with me. I'm longing to open my heart, as it were, to you. I'm longing to show some of my uh, future promises and my internal realities to you. Don't think I'm far away from you because I'm not. I stand at the door and knock. So why won't you come? I'm here ready and waiting for you, says Jesus. I'm knocking on the door and I want you to be the other side. I long for fellowship with you. So you need to grasp his grace. You need to endure difficulty when it comes. You need to be open to the love of Jesus in a fresh way as he opens the promises of the gospel to our hearts. That's the cure for lukewarmness. But here's the fourth and final one. And it might be the most shocking one of all of the seven letters. There's a promise at the end of each one, as we've seen. But look at the amazing thing that Jesus says in verse 21. I want you to see your status, says Jesus. Look at what he says. Jesus says to the church that he wants to spit out of his mouth in verse 16, to the same church he says, you're struggling with lukewarmness, I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne. This is an amazing sentence that Jesus is saying. Why is it amazing? I mean, why does Jesus and how does Jesus rule the world? Why is he ruling the world? Because he's earned it. He's not worth it like L'Oreal, though he is. But Jesus has earned this right to sit and rule and to reign the whole of the universe, all that he has made, the whole cosmos. And why has he done it? Because Jesus went to the cross. He paid for our sins as he carried them on his shoulders and his father raised him up from the grave. He earned it. Jesus went to the cross for the glory of his father that he would be known throughout the ages and tribes and tongues around his world. But he did it for us as well, for the glory of his Father and for us. Why? Why does Jesus sit and rule and reign? Because he earned it and he wants us to be part of it. Us who struggle with lukewarmness, us who let him down, us who have good days but mostly bad days, spiritually speaking, us who go to him with shopping lists of demands, thinking we know what's best, us who struggle when difficulty comes into our lives. And Jesus says, no, no, I want to reign the world with you. I want closeness with you. I want to invite you to rule and to reign with me. I want you to have bliss, eternal bliss. And I want you to have the honor that I have, that my father has given to me. I want you to have everything that I've achieved. And you can have it for free because I did it for you and for the glory of my father. That's what grace is means you've not earned it you don't deserve it but God gives it to us by faith that we will 1 Corinthians we will rule we will rule over angels next to Jesus Christ 
He's already said it. Now, how is that possible? I mean, why and how can you get a white robe of the righteousness of Jesus? Because Jesus was stripped naked. How can you have all the spiritual wealth that belongs to Jesus? Because he was impoverished. How and why can you have spiritual sight to see the true reality that God wins? Why will you no longer have to struggle with spiritual blindness? Because as they were crucifying Jesus, they put a blindfold on him and they pounded his face. And they said to the Son of God, prophesy, who hit you? The gospel, friends, is that Jesus was stripped so that you and I can be clothed. He was impoverished so you and I can be made rich. He was blinded so that you and I could see. And all of this was because Jesus was jealous for the glory and renown of his father. And that means he was jealous for you and me as well. I mean, how do you respond to that? What's the only reasonable response to Jesus who loves you and me that much? He gave himself wholly for you. So the only response is we should give ourselves wholly for him and to him. Let's pray.